Good morning. It's so great to see human beings, to be amongst the land of the living. Uh, a lot of things I could give some thanks for. Uh, I think just the, the sense of, of your care and your prayers and communicating that to Gina and I in a variety of ways over the last couple of weeks have been just very meaningful and strengthening for us. Uh, can't, can't highlight enough just the, the many thoughtful acts of folks. I just wanted to make sure that, that you guys were communicating something during a real isolated period uh, the last couple of weeks. One of the most special things we got to experience last Sunday was uh, notes that were written from our children's ministry here in the church. Uh, the kids who wrote things. Uh, I don't know how to express just the, what that meant to us as we interacted with the wordings and the, the things the kids chose to say and highlight. Uh, and, and some of them wrote uh, just the most precious things you'd expect from kids who were four and five and six and seven years old. Uh, some of them wrote things that were like, this is an adult. What is this child? It's not a child. This is an adult communicating these things. But one of the things that Gene and I just appreciated as we were reading through those was just the, the input you guys as parents have had in your children's lives, that you have awakened certain things for them to be aware of and for them to communicate when they have the opportunity to communicate it about God and about God's purpose. And so that was extremely meaningful, but, but so it was just so many ways that we've received care and, and communication over these last couple of weeks. Um, I, I don't, you know, we've, we're trying to follow all kinds of protocols in what we're doing. So I've kind of stayed away from all you guys today. I'm, I'm two weeks out from uh, a positive test uh, from COVID when we first came down with all the symptoms. Uh, and, you know, I, I just think by way of, this doesn't count for the message, by the way. Um, just by way of walking with people, you know, this is such an interesting hour, isn't it? We're just walking with people who are in different places in this moment. They're just, they're just not all where we are. And the impact of what's going on in the world around us is impacting people differently. And, you know, trying not to preach a message that's not the message this morning. I, I, I don't think the body of Christ is doing really, really well in this hour. You with me a little bit in that? This has been a tough hour. And, and this has not been the greatest hour where we, we have shown up with a massive amount of compassion and care and engagement and support. Other things seem to be crowding into, we've got to address this. We've got to get this right. We've got to speak into that area. But there are just people in, in a variety of places. And, and, you know, we're not all going to walk where they're walking. We're not all going to put on their clothes and have their experience. And, and so I, I know we've had many people in the church, and I, I know I would express the thanks of, of many people in the church who have, who have gone through their own COVID experience. Uh, I've talked to people who have explained their COVID experience as, ah, didn't even know I had it. You know, it was here today, gone tomorrow, was nothing. That's been some people's COVID experience. Uh, we've had people die in the church from COVID. We've had people with family members who have gone through severe experiences with COVID where their family members have died. We've had people hospitalized on ventilators who are in, in our church. 
Uh, I'm grateful that was not my experience. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I, I don't get sick very often, so I, probably the Lord in his grace knows I'm a terrible patient and I whine too much. So you spared me, I, I, but you know, I, I would not want COVID again. Uh, it, was, it was not a pleasant experience. Uh, but I just get that not everybody's in the same place in what you're walking through. And what you're carrying as you walk with others in this moment. And, and, and one of the great things I think this moment is going to teach the body of Christ is, is how much we could grow in being other sensitive in our lives. Not because somebody else is going through exactly what we went through. Because they're not. And you don't have to have my life experience in order for me to treat you as though now I totally get what you're going through. Now I can respond to you a certain way. Uh, you know, that's not the body of Christ. We, we have a compassion and a love and a zeal and a care for one another that comes from a different place than that. It gets birthed by the spirit of God in the heavenlies and it gets transferred into our inner man by the Holy Spirit. And we have a compassion and a care for one another that comes from that place. I don't have to get you to have compassion for you. So I know we've got opportunities to grow in this category. Uh, just lots for us to learn. And these are the moments where, where life itself kind of squeezes us in some ways that, that, that we need to hear from God. I mean, just do encourage folks. I'm so grateful for guys who are watching me. I, I, I don't want to be a long public service announcement here. Um, but I'm, I'm aware, I'm aware that, that we as pastors and we as a church, we are, we are passionate. And I'm going to mention some of the reasons why we're passionate today in the message to not just to gather us. Gathering is what we do on our way to something else, right? If we gathered and did nothing else, we have not fulfilled our call to shepherd people. But we, we gather for the sake of influence. Our souls need the influence that God has placed in human beings in the body of Christ. We just need that. There's too much in the Bible highlighting that. To extract that from our lives and to create a Christianity in hours and moments like this that minimizes that or makes it go away. Can I just tell you, is a dangerous thing to do. Now, having said that passionately, everybody listening from home right now are those who are here, but you're very uncomfortable being here because this public setting is a little difficult for you to be in. Okay, what I don't want to create by saying that is some kind of shame on you for not being here. That's not what we're trying to communicate. And if you are at home today and you're watching by live stream, I thank God that we have some level of connection today. We're thanking God for that. We're not faulting you for not being here. We're not asking you to do something you don't have faith to do. It's okay for you guys to be right where you are right now. And God will make it clear if you need to do something different in the future, but do not feel like, oh, and, and listen, I hear that from a lot of folks. Please do not text me and over apologize for why you're here or not here. You do not, you do not need to explain yourself that way. I got a text this morning from dear brother. This is what he said. While we will not be there physically, we will be 100% be there with y'all spiritually. And can I just say, that's what we're after. That's what we're after. Now having, I, I, you know, I don't know that I've ever had a Sunday that I'm, I'm at home while church is going on. So last Sunday was weird. I mean, if I'm not here, it's because I'm traveling in another church or something. 
So I'm at home while church was going on. I don't know how some of y'all ever do that. That is just like the weirdest out-of-body experience. I mean, everything about you is saying, what on earth am I doing here? Uh, and then the Wednesday night, the, the prayer gathering here, I just, you know, I'm watching something. I'm like, I'm, I should be there. But I can tell you this now, having done the home version of this thing, uh, can I just tell you at home, lean in, lean in because you're not here. And being not here is different than being here. Uh, there is other stuff going on that uh, when we're out of this environment, engaging this setting is not done the same way. And so, but that's what we're after. And that's what this passage is today. We're going to look at from the letter of Hebrews. It, it's trying to reach into a world that's been falling apart for Christians. That's where we're going to be at today. It's trying to reach into a difficult setting and show up in a significant way. And, and please don't take that for granted. These guys in the first century had less distractions in their lives than anything what we experience. We have so many distractions. There is so much noise in our lives. The body of Christ in general in the United States was not doing well before the pandemic came along. The pandemic did not create the, the lethargy and struggle in the body of Christ in America. It didn't create it. It just put its foot on the gas pedal of it. The church in America has been in a dangerous place for quite some time. And then a pandemic comes. And then what if we're not going back to normal anytime soon? What if that's where we are? And so a little bit of what I'm going to talk about today it's kind of birthed out of some realities that, that kind of began to hit me. I'm not exempt from any of this. Kind of to say, I have needed to preach this message to my soul over and over again in the last few weeks. You know, we had, we had lived in this COVID hour for a year and a half. And then we get to July. Beginning of July, we're starting to feel like, hey, we're turning a corner, Right. Things are beginning to sort of feel like normal again. And so, you know, we're planning as, as elders and pastoral team and we're putting things in place and we're going to go back to one service and, and we're going to have a, just a greater sense of cohesiveness. We're going to connect to the church better. We're going to stand up some ministries and strengthen some things. And then uh, about the last week of July hits and the whole world changes, doesn't it? Just the mood of things changed. How things felt changed. The news, the information, the caution, a fourth spike, a fourth spike that was going to put the other ones in the dust in a lot of ways. All of a sudden, life felt very different. And here we were uh, being drawn towards August 1st. We're all going to be together. Ah, we can't wait. And we're all excited. And it just felt like August 1st came and went. It did for me. Just like, oh, man, this feels like last year again. This feels like more of the same. Are we there yet? Is this going to change anytime? And so I, I could feel the air go out of me. I literally could. I mean, I'd been praying about planning a, a series of messages that we were going to be doing to envision the church and just felt like, no, that's not where we're at. We're starting again. And so there was an element of enduring something that made me realize, and I, and I, and I hope this is something that's helpful for all of us. What if you and I have to live in a period where God is doing things behind the scenes, right? I'm going to capture some of that from Hebrews here, 
But God's doing things in the midst of our day that, that begins to feel different than what we have known for decades. For decades. What if life starts to feel more like words like delay, disappointment, disruption? What if those are the words that are going to begin to be more familiar to us? And I, I suddenly realized personally, that's not the world I'm familiar with. I'm not familiar with a world that's extremely disrupted. Matter of fact, if I think over the, the, the adult years of my life, we have lived in a great season of prosperity. That's what we have lived in. The American experience from about the, the late 1970s to today is a period of amazing prosperity. Things just go our way, one thing after another. We have little speed bumps. We have a little bit of a set aside. Sometimes we get distracted for a moment, but things get right back on track. Right? And so when I was, I was just pondering this and realizing for my own soul, I have not been trained as a human being in adversity. I have not. And if you've been alive during the same period I've been alive in, you haven't either. Unless you're from another country. Unless you grew up in a third world country. You don't know what it is to be extremely anything more than inconvenience. It's just what our life has afforded us. So a number of reasons why I thought this. I don't know if we've got a little graph here. Right? This is a, this is a, a, a graph of the growth of wealth. Right on the left there. So if you, you notice 1970s is where this starts. If you go back further, 1960s, 1950s, it all looks pretty flat. 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, the growth of wealth is pretty flat. But I remember, I was in high school in 1978. I remember the years after that, the 1980s were filled with the beginning of this great material prosperity in our country. And things just begin to sort of take off. Right, I remember coming out of high school and going into college and taking on jobs and learning things about finances, et cetera, and, and learning about investments. And back then you can invest, you know, well, well, that's kind of the growth of wealth. If you invested in the fifties, you invested in the sixties, you invested in the seventies, whatever you invested, that's about what you got. Maybe a little bit more. Your house was worth this much in the 1960s and the 1970s. It's worth about the same amount, maybe a little bit more, but not in the 1980s. In the 1980s, you put money in the stock market, it began to take off. And in the 1990s, it took off. And in the 2000s, it took off. And then we had a little bump, and then it took off again. Then we had another little bump, and it took off again. And the same thing's true of your, of your, of your house cost, the value in your home. The things that you and I have experienced in life have looked like this. We have been living a prosperity curve in our lives. We have gotten used to life has a speed bump in it, but it doesn't have long delays. All this stuff writes pretty quickly. There's lots of distraction. There's lots of eye candy. You had the dot-com years where the stock market took off for some reasons. Then you had technology development. And then the world went global. Then we've got devices. We've had so many things to distract us into something that feels like it's moving and shaking and going well. We're used to prosperity. We're not used to adversity. But we do need to realize when we go to interpret this book and interpret what God is doing, we do need to realize we're the weirdos on the planet. What I just described wasn't true generationally. I, my dad was much older than me. 
My dad was born in, during World War I. And the stories he would tell, right, that means his father was born during Reconstruction after the Civil War. So just follow the timeline, right? You, you had a country not too long ago who went through civil war, the upheaval, the turning of life upside down, and then a period of reconstruction where, again, life was turned upside down. And then shortly after that, you had World War I. And then after that, you had the Great Depression of the 20s and the 30s. These are massively disruptive elements in the landscape of human life. Then you had World War II. And then things begin to settle down a little bit. You got into the 50s and 60s and you got into our time zone and our era where we have had prosperity after prosperity after prosperity. Globally, our story is not a global story. Travel to Serbia, travel to Rwanda, travel into the Middle East. You and I get our hearts broken staring at Afghanistan right now, right? Afghanistan looks like a typical Middle Eastern country of dissettlement and upheaval year after year after year. Our story is a strange story. And yet God is at work in these moments in ways that we might need some help to engage and to hear. So I want us to do this one. I want us to get pastored this morning by the writer of Hebrews. What, what do you sound like? What's the Holy Spirit sound like when, when he shows up through the writer of Hebrews to speak into a moment that feels kind of like what we're experiencing? Has some of the backdrop to it. When this life curve, if you will, doesn't look like a prosperity line that's just going to continue forever to reward us for all of the investment that we give, Right? All right, question up on your outline. What might we need as Christians if we have to navigate a chapter in our lives that feels more like delay, disappointment, disruption, and dashed dreams? What if something besides the American dream and creature comforts and earthly pleasures were to become the priority of God's purpose in a particular hour of our lives? What if that were to be the case? How, how well would American faith weather that? I was kind of curious this week, as the last couple of weeks as I was praying about some of this. Um, a book is being published that we were contacted by. Um, it's kind of a joint project between the Gospel Coalition, Nine Marks Ministries, and Crossway Publishers. And the, the title of the book is Rediscovering Church. And what caught my attention was this, this is a, a three ministries that publish globally who have come together to do this. But I want you to hear the tone of concern in the voices of these leaders in the body of Christ as they stare out at something that they see happening in the body of Christ. This is not my tone. This is their tone of concern. This is how they promoted the book. And the book, by the way, they're looking to give away 400,000 copies of this book globally. It's how important they feel like this is a message that needs to get heard by the body of Christ. This is what they said. It's been a brutal few years for pastors and church leaders. The COVID-19 pandemic has been the most disruptive event most churches have ever faced. On top of that, 
internet-formed Christians are increasingly being catechized by partisan politics and secular pop culture. The result? Divided and fragmenting churches, declining church membership, and weary leaders. If you traveled to churches all around the United States and stuck your head in there and got a feel for what's going on in any church, find any church, you would find those words described by these men. Fragmenting churches, declining church membership, and weary leaders. They say the situation can feel dire for church leaders. And for many Christians, committing to a church can feel like more trouble than it's worth. Can I just warn everybody in the body of Christ, you're watching, don't even go to church here. Uh, Strangely in this hour, this is why people are writing books like this. Strangely in this hour, the church feels less, less alluring and less engaging and less meaningful than perhaps it ever has. That's why you write books like this. That's why leaders gather with great concern in this hour. They say, but in this volatile and anxious time in history, as in any time in history, the answer is not to give up on church. The answer is to double down on the church's importance. The answer is to rediscover church. That's why the Gospel Coalition is pleased to publish in partnership with Crossway. Nine marks a new book, we hope, will be a back to basics rallying cry for our generation. Rediscover church, why the body of Christ is essential. <clears throat> why do you need to stand up at any moment and tell the body of Christ that the body of Christ is essential? Why do you have to say that? Because it just doesn't feel all that essential. That's the hour in which you live. But we're not alone. I'm going to take us into Hebrews here in just a second. You'll see this is not new on planet Earth goes on and says, rediscover churches being translated into more than 20 languages. In this year of global crisis, we want the global church to rediscover its essential identity and purpose. Uh, question for us. Let's, let's not any of us act like we're above this. We're the church that's above this. You know, like the Christian Center in New Orleans, thank you guys for writing this book. I hope a lot of people really need it. What do you need to, to rediscover this morning? Right now, in this hour that you're traveling through, what, do you, what are you and I needing to rediscover? I can feel in my own soul, Lord, my, I'm not in a place I like where I'm at. I don't like my experience in this category or that category. I do need to rediscover some things. So life's curve doesn't always look and feel like the recent American chapter. It doesn't always look like a prosperity curve. Sometimes... God is at work and he's at work behind the scenes. And it's going to be a very interesting thing to interact with these chapters here. I'm going to introduce us to Hebrews chapter 12, but I really want us to see the context of Hebrews chapter 12 and see why does this book sound the way it does in this hour. And interesting, when you get to Hebrews chapter 12, which we will get to, we won't get too much of it today. You're going to get introduced to words like endurance, discipline, and shaking, right? That's the context for how this pastoral writing is trying to help the people of God. You are in one of the most difficult moments of your life. That's the situation for the Hebrews. 
Many of you are being tempted to quit and give up on the things that matter in the kingdom of God. And this pastoral advice is going to come with words like endurance, discipline, and shaking. So that's what I want the Lord to help us to hear today. Hebrews chapter 12, if you have a Bible and you want to turn there with me. Verse 1. These are familiar words, aren't they? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance. There's that word. The race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, most of us are very familiar with those verses. We bump into those. They're in great devotional writings. We, we will sit down with those two verses and there's so much in those two verses that they're worth just hanging out with, period. But b- before you hang out in that verse, right? We always recognize the Bible's written with a context. So if you back up and I were to say, what's in chapter 10 of Hebrews? Could you recall that off the top of your head? And what's in chapter 11? And why does chapter 10 and chapter 11 lead us to chapter 12 the way it does? So God's trying to communicate something in this moment. And You know, for those of us who have lived the prosperity life curve, the idea of just believing that the thing that's going to sustain us is that we're going to go back to the curve. Things are going to go back to normal. Um, What if they never go back to normal? What if the future doesn't contain a prosperity curve? What if it contains a storyline like people all over the world face, like Christians in Afghanistan are facing right now? They can't see prosperity if they took out a telescope. And they haven't been able to see it in their lifetime. You don't realize how weird this is for you until you put yourself in a really weird location. I remember a number of years ago, this is mid-1990s, we were on a missions trip into a very remote area of Mexico. Uh, This was the trip that I remember being on this trip for the first time I met a person on the planet who had never heard of Jesus. Had a conversation with somebody who was in an Indian village. These were not Mexican, these were Mexican Indians. And, and, And they had no concept of this Jesus Christ that I was trying to talk to them about. But one of the things that was affecting me was walking in these very remote villages because we were... 10 hours into, into Mexico from the border. And then we were another two hours up into the mountains, into these just settings that and it's like, there's no, there's no power lines here. There, there's nothing here. This, this is, these are villages that live in a different historical moment than whatever we were used to. And you know, one of the things that gripped me walking through, and, and we spent like a week in one of these villages was the simplicity and the monotony of their lives. After spending a few days there, it was like my skin was crawling. I can't move at this slow of a pace. I don't know what to do with this is it. 
you wake up every day, take out that thing you called a broom, sweep your dusty house out, and just go sit down and, and, and then you do what? I mean, you, you have no idea. As an American, you have no idea how many things are propping up daily life and daily spaces and have an opportunity for some moment of enjoyment and pleasure to be accessible to us. Can I just tell you, I haven't tasted or smelled anything for two weeks. It's driving me nuts. I had no, I know I'm just talking about, yeah, yeah, you just like to eat. Um, There's something, I'm going to preach a message on this at some point, but there's something in the psychology of taste buds that's pretty important. The fact that we have them gives that away. The fact that God designed them a certain way gives that away as well. But can I tell you, when your life starts to get stripped down of the, of the little moments that could distract you into something, I recognize walking in that village, oh God, I have you. I have all that I need in you. I don't think I could live here. I'm not that spiritual. <laughs> and so you realize there's a lot of, you know, Things about life that prop us up, that sustain us, that mean something to us at a really, really deep level. And when you start messing with that stuff, it can flip you upside down. You might get introduced to a version of yourself that's not a very pleasant version. You might discover how thin some of your faith really is. It's a tough discovery, but that's what the Hebrews were discovering here. Let me jump into Hebrews chapter 10. Now back up from there. Hebrews 10 verse 23. Writer of Hebrews says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Remember the Bible doesn't waste words. So if the Bible is telling you to hold fast, it's because there's a danger that you won't. And there's a reality that it's available. And without wavering, let us hold fast without wavering. Why? Because they were wavering. When you listen to the testimony of this first century set of believers, they were wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. So don't read past that too fast, right? In this hour, this has been a challenging hour to be together as the body of Christ. Well, this is that famous verse. Do not neglect the assembling together, right? Where does that thought come? It comes from right here. Have you ever realized the context, what was going on in their lives in this moment? These are people who have lost their motivation to take another step with Jesus. It's become hard. It's become unrewarding. It's not new and sparkly anymore. It's gotten old. It doesn't feel the the same as it once did. Hey, listen, are you ready for a day that your faith could feel that way? Are you ready to live in a place that perhaps that's how your faith could feel? That's why people are writing books like, hey, we got to rediscover something. Because the reason why they were neglecting to meet together is because they just didn't feel like it. It wasn't because there was a new mandate issued that prohibited them from gathering. They always had those issues. They just didn't feel like coming. 
Listen, again, this is not, and I'm not trying to poke anybody who's not here because they're concerned about being in a public setting. Not, this is not what this is about. This is about every one of us who are in a very dangerous time spiritually at this moment in our history and, and who have decided to coast right now. It's not about whether you're here. It's about whether you're coasting. It's about whether you have made a massive mistake right now in letting distance creep in. Because this, this book of Hebrews is a book about distance. It uses the word nearness probably more than any other book. It's about the nearness of God, which is what was not happening for these guys. So if there was a book being published in the first century that sounded like the Gospel Coalition book I just described, it's Hebrews. Listen, now listen to what Hebrews is going to sound like. Listen to the advice into this kind of a setting. Hebrews 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Verse 12. Take Care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sins. Don't miss this moment. Don't miss this pastoral lesson right here. The Holy Spirit in, in, inspires the writer of Hebrews to warn a group of people who are sitting under the most woeful setting of their lives. They are feeling the weight of woe on their lives. This is not an easy moment to pastor these people. They're unmotivated. They've been damaged. They, they, life is hard. They have suffered loss. There's no curve going up in sight that they know, oh, we'll spring back. It'll be good. They could finish their lives under these conditions. Please notice something. This pastor is warning these people in their moment of woe. He's not just comforting them. He's warning them. I need that. Because when you sit in a moment of woe, what's going to creep into that moment with you is self-pity. And once self-pity sets in, I think self-pity is one of the most dangerous things to let under your skin. Because self-pity always has reasons to feel the way it does. Justifiable reasons. But once you let it off its leash, it is a reckless thing in your life. And it will drag you into some bad space. And these warnings are helpful to keep me knowing there is potential that my heart could become unbelieving. Not just unbelieving here, evil and unbelieving. This is a real warning, right? Warnings in the Bible are real, by the way. They're not like fake you out. They're real warnings because this condition could exist. And this is not the only time he's going to say this, right? Just quick run through Hebrews. Hebrews 4 verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it, right? There's a rest that God brings in the moments, even moments like these, but, but be sober, it could be missed. For good news came to us just as it did to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. That's a sobering thought that I can get around the voice and the words of God 
and be disconnected from them. And in a moment like this, that's going to make this a very, very difficult and tenuous moment. Hebrews 4 verse 14, 14. Let us hold fast our confession. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near. Here's that word. It's all over Hebrews. To the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Are you in a place right now to where you are feeling the desperate need for grace in your walk with God right now? Okay, well, the good news is you're not out of bounds. Right? You are in the Bible. You are on this page of the Bible right here. Hebrews 5 verse 11. You have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. Chapter 6, verse 11. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness. <laughs> They've lost their earnestness. They have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So welcome to the church in the first century described by words like sluggish, dull, hearts that are inclined to unbelief and even evil, unmotivated experiences in life. And then he continues in chapter 10, verse 32 of Hebrews says this, but recall, recall the former days. When after you were enlightened, you endured, there's that word again, a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew and you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And I, I won't go into their story too much. But believers were being put in jail. Primarily because of their faith. Now the jail system wasn't like our jail system. Uh, when you got stuck in jail there, they didn't have a food program. They didn't take care of you. Somebody from the outside had to come take care of you. So that meant that if one of you guys went to jail for being a believer... One of us was going to have to show up and give you something to eat and care for you. But the second we did that, guess what? We would then be identified as believers as well. And the persecution would come to us next. And the license of mistreatment that was taking place, they, they just took your stuff. And no one stopped them. They showed up, bullied their way into your home, burned your place down perhaps, stole what they wanted, and there was nothing you could do. To stop them. That was the environment you were living in. Kind of makes ours not so bad, doesn't it? I mean, I, I know nobody's really enjoying the environment right now. You know, the, the politics, the country. I appreciated the other night when we were here. When you guys were here for prayer on Wednesday night. Listening to Lester describe a comparison between the first century and what we're going through today. Right? So I don't have to unpack this too severely. Right? We know a little bit about what the first century was like. These were hard, difficult times. Hebrews 10.35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Right? Is it your prosperity curve here? No, no, no. It's your confidence. 
It's your faith. It's what you believe is on its way. It's not what the curve is going to provide for you. It's what your faith in something is going to provide for you. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promise. What is the need of this hour for these kinds of Christians and this kinds of them? You have need of endurance. He says, for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I find it interesting here. Because I want to say prosperity has taught us a bunch of things. Prosperity has taught us how to read the Bible. And those of you who have followed the prosperity movement and the doctrinal developments that have come over the last four or five decades that have been birthed out of a prosperity movement, I find it interesting that the birthplace of the prosperity movement is not tribal Africa. It's not South America. It's not the impoverished nations of the Middle East. And it's not pre-1970 something. I find that it is a time period that gave birth to a way of looking at stuff. It is a Norman Vincent Peale positive energy thought process that came into our country that surfed on the wave of life going your way for the most part. You get a little bumps and bruises along the way, but for the most part, life is going to go your way. But can I just tell you, life is going to go your way as an American, whether you're a Christian or not. How many of you know there's lots of wealthy non-Christians in America? Y'all met any of those people? There's a lot of stuff going their way, whether they believe in Jesus or not. They have lived in a prosperous time frame. And... Interesting here, this pastor is going to pick up what they went through historically, and he's not going to shame them for it, right? Verse 32, recall, recall the former days, he says, when you were enlightened and you endured a hard struggle with suffering. What's, what's that life curve look like? You endured a hard struggle with suffering. That was your life curve. For, for as far as you could see, things were going to be declining. You were going to go through hard times. And what dotted the landscape of history moving into this moment, Hebrews is about 68 AD, but, but you had, in the 30s, you had this massive deportation of people from, from Jerusalem. It was the spreading of the gospel, but it was under the hand of persecution and suffering. In about 49 AD, Claudius decided that these Christians and these Jews are more trouble than they're worth, and he begins to persecute them and kick them out of Rome. So suddenly people got, they got no home. They got nowhere to live. This is Priscilla and Aquila, by the way. This is who shows up in Corinth. And the reason why they're there and Paul ever gets to know them is because they were booted out of Rome and they had to relocate their lives, right? These are the kind of hardships that they were facing. And then Nero comes into power in the fifties and the persecution of Christians becomes off the charts. And in 68 AD, you're about to have Rome decide they want to sack and destroy Jerusalem and bring another wave of persecution. They lived in one wave after another of persecution in their lives. N.T. Wright, in his commentary in Hebrews, says, We don't have to look too far, alas, to see contemporary examples of the same thing. 
Wherever a regime exists which claims absolute power and regards Christian faith and witness as a threat, Christians will come under attack. As we said, we saw with Eastern European communism in the Cold War years, have seen again with the situation in China and in many Muslim countries. Many Christian readers today know exactly what it's like to suffer public ridicule and physical abuse, to stand alongside those who suffer in it, and to find their property being looted and the authorities looking on and doing nothing. That, that's not our experience. That has not been our experience. It has not stopped us from becoming a bunch of whining, complaining. Right? There is a revelation about faith taking place right now. I'm not sure we're doing really well having been trained by prosperity to have a faith for a prosperity zone so that when I get to the end of July and it looks like difficulty is in the future, the air goes out of me. That's what I felt like the last several weeks. And I'm just realizing some things. There is a command in this verse, verse 32. There is a commendation in this verse as well. They're being commended for when they came to faith, the way in which they walked out their struggle. Their season was a hard struggle with sufferings. Can I, can I just tell you that if you've been in America and you've read any publications in Christianity, you don't always know how to interpret suffering. Because what the prosperity world has done with suffering, because when the curve is going up and everything is supposed to always turn to your favor, you're supposed to be the head, not the tail. Hallelujah. So you're supposed to, if you can tap into the power of faith, you're supposed to be able to turn this thing around. That's what that theology teaches. You got faith, man. Well, you know, it's just not turning it around for me. Come on. What do you start thinking about that person in that moment? Did they bring this on themselves? Why don't they just do right? What do you think when somebody has a series of difficulty, 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 difficulty? How, how many Christians interpret that, that God is against that person? They must have some kind of hidden sin. They must not be walking with God. They must not be doing what God's called them to do. They must be mistreating somebody. They must be hiding something. What makes us suspect that? Well, because we've been trained by prosperity, that God's only in the moment if it's going to turn out positive. God's only in the moment if you're going to get healed. God's only in the moment if whatever financial need you get, you have right now, is going to turn into some abundance in your life. Pray your way there. Can I just tell you that's not what Hebrews sounds like? When I install the word endure, I'm about to prepare you for something. Your situation isn't going away. That's why you're going to need endurance. That's a strange vocabulary. I don't want to endure this stuff anymore. Anybody else with me? I've had it with COVID. Literally and figuratively. I've had it with this season. I've had it with its disruptions. I've had it with the way life feels. I've had it. And how frustrating when your theology feels like, well, if, if we just do the right thing, we can change all this. We can change the curve. 
And listen, I'm not trying to be prophetic today. I'm just picking up where Hebrews is a reality here that the curve in Hebrews is going this way. It doesn't look like, hey, just a few more weeks, a couple more months, in a year or so. That recall the former days is going back decades into their lives. They have been living these former days for decades and no one's being shamed here. No one's being corrected. No one's being told, why don't you get it together? Why don't you people learn how to pray? Why don't you live your life right? Because if you do right, everything would go right. Listen, if you got a theology like that, you have learned more from America than you have learned from your Bible. And can I just tell you what, an, what a horrible environment that creates in the body of Christ? Because you're, you're looking for why somebody else it doesn't have it as good as they could. And that works really, really well today when the air we breathe is full of suspicion. All right? Isn't that the knee-jerk response? You stare at a situation, you suspect what's really going on here. So you stare at somebody's suffering because that was their chapter. A hard struggle with suffering. A hard struggle with suffering. That's their chapter. And you stare at that and you suspect. Hmm, wonder what they're not doing. Anybody want to be a part of a church like that? And that's a biblically ignorant church. John Piper says, the Christian church in America suffers from about 350 years of dominance and prosperity. Like, I'm just grabbing the last 50. He's grabbing 350. What I mean by dominance is that in most of American history, be, being Christian has been viewed as a normal and good and patriotic and culturally acceptable and even beneficial. What I mean by prosperity is that being Christian has generally resulted in things going well for us American Christians. Since the Christian ethos has been dominant, it has also been a pathway to success. And what I mean by suffering that we are suffering from 350 years of dominance and prosperity. We are suffering from our prosperity. I agree with him. Is that this has deeply ingrained in us a massively unbiblical mindset, namely a mindset of at-homeness in this world and in this age. We've been dominant and we have been prosperous, and therefore we have come to feel at home in this world and have developed a deeply ingrained assumption that things should go well for us. And that this is our world and our age, that being a good Christian and being well thought of must go together. And that poverty and sickness and suffering and death is the worst thing that can happen in a land of Christian wealth and health and ease and upbeat, success-oriented vitality. And so, we've developed a form of Christianity to support this ingrained expectation of acceptance and comfort and prosperity. This Christianity begins by focusing on our felt needs, not our eternal ones, that we may not even be aware of. And it makes its appeal on the basis that Christianity will make life a lot better for us in this world. It's not a call to suffer as an alien, but a call to prosper as a respected citizen. 
and to be very indignant and angry if we don't. Those words caught my attention. Indignant and angry. Have you talked to any Christians lately who sound indignant and angry? Can I just break some news to you? Because I think this is much deeper than whether you got to wear a mask or not. A prosperity curve builds a certain type of faith into us. It develops certain expectations and certain comforts and certain rewards that we begin to look to. When those things get threatened or moved, we respond to it. And we are responding by being indignant and angry. You think you're just angry because somebody told you you got to wear a mask. What if it's deeper than that? What if it's that the kind of faith that we have been casually building as Americans, because we've got a lot going on, we casually build our faith. What if the casual faith we have been building only does well when the curve continues? But when the Bible breaks out the word endurance, uh, that's not the vocabulary word I'm looking for. Show me how to beat a head and not the tail. Show me how to change this. Show me how to turn this thing around. Show me how to seize the day, man. Show me how to be positive with positive energy to turn this into a positive outcome. Where'd you learn that? That's not what the Bible sounds like. Now, it does sound like that in some places, but it also sounds like you endured a season of great suffering and it doesn't apologize to it. It doesn't shame you. It doesn't act like you're out of bounds. It doesn't act like you should ask for a refund. How many Christians today, right now, part of the reason why they're not in churches and they're not embracing their faith is because they don't like this version of faith. They don't like what the last couple of years have felt like. They don't like having to have faith to survive. Like Christians all over the world have had to do for centuries. Something more than a prosperity curve needs to stand us up in this moment. I wrote in your outline, we're angry, agitated, and uptight in this pandemic hour. Because the natural forces that we place our trust and hope in are being threatened. Listen, I, when I listen to the amount of emotion that's coming out of people over the issues, right? I stuck a few issues here. Critical race theory. Anti-capitalism, government control problems, the threat of economic downturn. When I listen to the amount of heat coming out, you know, listen, when emotion comes out, you're putting your finger on something that needs an antibiotic in you. It needs a spiritual antibiotic. There's a moment taking place where there's a giveaway. You need something right there, don't you? And that's being threatened by somebody or some way. Oh my gosh. What if critical race theory becomes, what if capitalism isn't going to continue the way it has been in this? What if, what if, what if, right? Translate those issues to the, to the, the readers here in Hebrews who had it worse in every category. They didn't have a prosperity curve to refer to. 
They had no cooperative government. They had no voice in government. Shout back at the government, protest the government. Sure, go ahead. That guy's got a sword. He'll take your head off. Protest all you'd like. But yet they were the church. And they were going to have to walk with God in the hour in which they live. So when you hear the writer of Hebrews say, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You get a little better feel for what the race could look like versus the one that we're running right now. And listen, I'm not trying to minimize things. I'm not trying to act like, oh, I'm so, I'm not above any of this. I will, I, you can stand in line behind me. I am a 57-year-old man who has been trained by a prosperity curve. That's the world I have lived in. That's the suffering that I have had to endure. At best, suffering in my life often has, has been delay and inconvenience. Most of the time, that's more what it is. Because the good outcome is going to come eventually. It's going to get better. It's going to be rewarding. It's going to be a good thing. It's not going to involve severe suffering at some level. So this, this is a challenging day for us. And, and here's, here's where I want to conclude. I want to introduce us to a couple of these words because this is where the writer of Hebrews goes. He introduces us to some words. In this moment, he doesn't speak to an audience that, remember, they're on the verge of giving up. They're on the verge of not having confidence in God. They are not, they're not coming together. They're not being around each other. They're not pursuing the things of God. That's the condition that they find themselves in. The writer does not teach them how to change their circumstances. He tells them, you have need of endurance. Something else is going to need to show up in your walk with God. This is the insight from God. In this hour, you have need of endurance. I don't know if the band can come back up. Because I want us to pray. I want us to pray. I I want God to find us this morning. And wherever you are in in your own moments in this season and what it's doing and how it may be turning you inside out, turning your faith upside down, having a deep impact on you. You don't have to raise your hands, but man, anybody else besides me surprised at how thin your faith can feel when it's tested? I thought I was a better Christian. I found out that there's some real thinness. There's some real weakness in the way in which I see and appropriate and am impacted by things that are otherworldly than what's here and what's coming next and what favorable outcome might invade this next chapter or season of my life or yours. I think I wrote in your outline here. Why, why is this insight so critical for this hour? Two things before I pray for us. First, because many in the American church are now more than ever being tempted to quit. And you may stare out at your own life and say, wow, I'm I'm being tempted to quit. Um, Well, before you give yourself really high grades, how near are you in your experiencing of God right now? And how neglected has the nearness of God become? How distant does God feel in this hour from you? Listen, that distance gives away something. Distance advertises disinterest. We get around the things we want to get around. 
And if God is at a distance, the real danger of that is not just that God is at a distance. It's the heart that has become disinterested in God. And that's these guys in the first century. And that should concern us. This is critical in this hour because the American theology of our lifetime features the ability to create favorable earthly circumstances. It features that. It teaches you that you can. It teaches you that you should. And when the generation coming behind us figures out that that doesn't always work, they're going to ask for a refund. Our children, the generations behind us, if their chapter sounds like what that Hebrew writer was describing, enduring a long season of struggle. If that's the chapter of the generation coming behind us, after chasing a prosperity-informed church, they're going to ask for a refund. They're going to have no category for what does it look like to live in a place where you need to endure and faith needs to be carefully protected and flourishing in a moment, in a season, because you're just not getting the reward you used to get. You're under a different curve in this moment. So I want to pray for us this morning. And man, I want our church to be a place where, you know, we're not, we're not trying to maintain faith. We're not trying to be something in front of somebody else. I'm, I'm afraid that's become too important to us. I would want you to be able to be here this morning, to be honest be able to stand before God and say I have need of endurance because I want to quit because I have found the thing that you have called me to the race that you have placed me in the chapter that I'm walking through the way this feels right now I am uninspired I am unmotivated I am lethargic I, I don't want another day of this that's what my life feels like good news is you're in this book and I'm in this book with you. We are the audience that the Hebrews were writing to. We happen to have our own version of what we're experiencing right now. But this morning, I I want us to make a bold proclamation and I want to make it with you. I want to invite you into my own story here. I will stand with this verse. I will stand this morning with you. I I will seek the grace of God because there is a... With confidence, don't throw away your confidence, but with confidence, draw near to the throne of God's grace if you can receive some help right now. That's what the tone of Hebrews is saying. Why? Because I want to quit. I don't want to do this another day. And maybe your situation isn't COVID and maybe it's not some seasonal thing that's happening right now, but it's suffering. You are in a season where the emotion, where the drain, where the conflict, where the unresolved, the the, the line has been going down for a while now for you. And and you don't want another day of that line. And if you could complain this morning before God, that'd be the first thing you would do. You would say, God, I don't want to do this anymore. That's the audience of the Hebrews. And this is what they needed to hear. You have need of endurance. 
So let's pray together, and I'm going to want you to respond just a moment. So find yourself right now. Let the Holy Spirit find you in this room this morning. Lord, this has been a undoing and unusual season of life in many, many ways. Lord, all throughout the gathering this morning, all of those who are watching live stream with us, Lord, we are in a chapter that we just keep hoping is going to go away. That suddenly something normal is going to return. And Lord, maybe it is. Maybe those days are coming. But my righteous one shall live by faith. Where there's something you give to us that's different than what the world gets. Lord, the, the world needs a favorable moment. The, the world needs things to turn from the outside. Lord, the world needs something because it doesn't have faith in you. God, you have given us something different. And even to those who belong to you, though this morning you are saying to us, you have need of endurance. And then, Lord, you invite us with confidence to draw near to your throne of grace, to find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. What if our time of need is the need of endurance, Lord? What if that's what we need? Well, then, then draw near with confidence to my throne of grace. So if you're here this morning and you are in a place where you, you have a need of endurance, I want you to draw near. I want you to, I want you to stand up right where you are and be able to, to look God in the face and God, God, I have need of endurance. Would you meet with me this morning? I'm drawing near, God. You have invited me. If I have a need, you're asking me to come. You're calling me to come. The first thing you can say to God, listen, God's already heard you complain, complain, complain. He's heard me complain. God's already heard your fears. God's already heard you rehearse how hard this has been and how much it's not changing and, and, and just how tempted you are to to give up, even if you haven't used those words, you know that's what it's feeling like right now. Turn to the Lord right now in your heart. Turn to him and say, God, that's me. I have need. I have need of endurance, Lord. That's my need here this morning. coming to God is just getting on his page there's a God who directs his people through times of endurance you're not out of bounds throw away the prosperity teaching that you've had in your life God has not abandoned you God has not pulled away from you the God who loved you and sent his son. And if you've read the rest of Hebrews, you know what Jesus Christ did so that you could come near him. That's what Hebrews teaches. 
The God who sent his son while we were his enemies is not the God who's waiting for you to get it together so that he can be on your side. That's not the God in the Bible. God, I pray for every person who's standing right here who's been wrestling through, Lord, whether you're with them, whether you're for them or not. Because prolonged suffering can be disorienting and confusing and make us feel upside down. God, as a church, we're exhorting one another together. That's why we come together. God, we're rehearsing the truth of your word right now. God, we just do that for every person who feels upside down right now. This has just been debilitating for them. This has been confusing. Lord, trying to get a a straight thought some days is just too much. God, we're with these folks, Lord. These are our brothers and our sisters. And we stand before your throne of grace. God, you said we had need of endurance and you said to come and ask for grace and mercy to help in time of need. Lord, this family members standing right here, they have need of grace that finds its way in the category of endurance. Lord, they have need to do tomorrow and the day after that and the week after that. God, would you invade this place? Lord, would you invade struggling hearts right now? God, we need wind in our sails that doesn't come from perhaps the places that previously they've come from. But God, we still need wind in our sails. You got to help us, Lord. I think some of you here this morning have a couple of impressions to pray over you. I think some of you here this morning need to embrace the thought that God is doing something different in your life. Different in your life. That what God is doing now and will be doing is different in your life and you will have need of endurance. It doesn't feel the same. the impression last night praying for you that there was someone here I believe it's a woman you are running in every direction instead of enduring in one I want you to let God show you what that means you are running in every direction instead of enduring in one there's some here this morning that you're here you're in church but God God is not your place or your source of rest and your life feels restless Hebrews invites us to a place of faith that introduces us to rest I pray for every person who's here this morning who's restless. Lord, their faith is just restless. It just just feels hard to settle down, find a place, an oasis, a place of settlement, Lord. 
God, I pray for those, especially those who have, who have made the church a category of their life, but they live restless. There's something about a rest that comes from you that's not being experienced. Lord, I pray for every person who's restless right now, agitated, easily irritated, on to the next thing, bothered when they can't be. God, would you provide grace for endurance in these restless moments? God, I pray about these warnings that are here. Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for us, Lord, that we would take care. Take care in a day when it just feels easier to have an unbelieving heart than to have a believing one. Lord, somehow that's just become easier. God, I pray for our hearts this morning. God, I pray for us in a vulnerable season that perhaps isn't going away soon. God, that you would strengthen our hearts with a resolve to have faith. God, I thank you for the realities that you are the God who gives faith, awakens faith, sustains faith in our lives. But God, I pray for grace in my own soul and for every one of us that tomorrow when when it becomes easier for me to not believe you, that I would take care and grace would come from you to take care in that moment to guard me from an evil, unbelieving heart that wants to stay stuck in the wrong place, that wants to believe the wrong things, that doesn't want to cling to you by faith. God, would you protect us in this hour, Lord? Lord, whatever the days that are coming may hold for us, you, you are the mysterious power in us for those days. Your grace, your work, your power. Lord, if we have need of endurance, God, we cast ourselves at your feet. Give us what we need, Lord for days that feel like enduring. You, oh God, are at work behind the scenes of these moments. God, that we know by faith and that we trust today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys and you guys at home. We love you. We're praying for you. Can I just ask folks, hey, hey, real quickly, We're getting lots of news sort of behind the scenes from folks who are struggling with illness, folks who have been in hospitals, folks who have uh, battled COVID. Uh, Please, please avail yourself of the prayer chain. Please contact the prayer chain and let folks know how they can be praying for you as you travel through these times. We have a wonderful group of folks who want to pray for you in this moment. So if you're at home, please, please reach out to the prayer chain so we can pray for you. We love you guys. We'll see you back here next week.